Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 9 of the Morning Round Trip Podcast. My name is Drew Frank, joined, as always, by Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning, everybody. And we're here with your July 19th morning updates. And yesterday, we saw some actual team versus team baseball games. Not talking interest squads, not talking anything else. We had legitimate exhibition games, and we'll get to that shortly. But first, we're going to lead things off with our COVID update because we have to walk back one of our top headlines from a previous episode last week as Yasiel Puig is no longer signing with the Braves. As a result of his positive COVID test, he is returning to the free agent market, which means we may see him sign with another team depending on the shape he can get into during his quarantine time, see where the season's at. He saw interest during the offseason from Baltimore, from Miami, from the Giants, and maybe there's a chance there, but from the Atlanta perspective, I mean, you know Acuna is going to be a center fielder or a right fielder, and you know he's going to be solid. Other than that, uh, you know they signed Marcelo Zuna. He's going to be in the lineup, but now that they've got a DH spot, I think that's where you probably want him. He's been pretty bad defensively, especially in the last couple of years. Ender Inciarte really struggled against lefties. He was hurt last year. Adam Duvall spent more time in the minors than the majors last year. Christian Pache is now hurt. He sprained his ankle last week. I, I mean, Liam, do you, do you think this this non-signing of Puig is really going to hurt Atlanta, or do you think they'll be okay? The caveat that people always forget when a team proposes a contract is that uh, X player has signed with X team, comma, pending a physical. Yeah. And upon the physical with Yasiel Puig, it was found that he is asymptomatic for COVID. Uh, so he has to test negative twice before being able to sign a contract with anyone else. With that said, this is just another blow dealt to the Atlanta Braves in terms of the COVID situation. I mean, we've talked almost at nauseum about Freddie Freeman and the situation that he's in and, and how much of a, a, a miss he's going to be, not only at first base, but also with the bat. And Yasiel Puig was going to fill a hole that Nick Markakis presented, uh, maybe not only in the lineup, but also in the outfield. Now, I know Ronald Acuna Jr. is fast. He's not fast enough to cover all three positions in the outfield. You are going to need to find a diamond in the rough or need to have a season from somebody that substantiates having at least two quality outfielders. Now, even and even in Acuna's sake, he uh, came up as a right fielder and they've tried to move him into center because they like his speed and they feel like he can cover more ground and win them more ball games if he's playing in center rather than right. Marcelo Zuna was a guy that they signed more so for his bat than for his glove. We talked about uh, Ender Enciarte and his struggles against lefties, and Christian Pache wasn't even a substantial hitter in the minors. He was more for his defense, and he's hurt. Atlanta just keeps getting dealt a bad hand here by COVID, and the non-signing of Yasiel Puig is a definite issue for them. However, I do think that after things are fixed up with Puig and he's uh, testing negative again, I think the Braves might as well still be all in on him. I agree. Because he's going to fill a spot that you need, really. If you had Dank Markakis, it wouldn't be an issue, and maybe you let him find his way to another team. But you need another outfielder, and Yasiel Puig 
essentially fills the mold of exactly what you're looking for that isn't going to cost you a, a great ton of money. And you mentioned Atlanta had been unlucky with everything to do with this disease. On the bright side of things, Freddie Freeman did return to camp. He was cleared to play with the Braves on Friday. And when he was talking to the press, he said that on July 3rd, so just about two and a half weeks ago, he said he had a fever of 104.5, which just absolutely insane to even imagine. And you're talking about a guy that's probably in the top 1% of physical healthiness around the world, a top athlete, pretty much in the prime of his career. And that hit him that hard. It's, it's, it's crazy to think about the power of the virus. So, of course, you have to be really taking everything seriously. We heard similar comments from Scott Kingery who had it earlier on and, and has recovered since, but talked about how brutal the disease is on one's body, despite what condition you're in, even as an athlete. We also saw the Rays get Jose Martinez back in camp. He had tested positive, but is now returned to play, and it seems that he may be ready for opening day. Same with Freeman. We're not sure how long it'll take for these guys to ramp up, but you've got to figure, as a hitter, it's probably not as hard as a pitcher, but again... That's just speculation. And the last thing I want to talk about here relating to our absences from COVID, and I, I'm putting in the, in this category, but we don't know for sure. The Astros have announced that Jordan Alvarez is away from the team with a condition that prevents him from reporting to the field. And whether or not this has anything to do with COVID, again, we're not going to speculate, but there's very real consequences of missing Jordan Alvarez because if we saw them lose Garrett Cole, their Cy Young, to free agency and now they're losing potentially the rookie of the year who we still haven't seen report to camp and of course this is a very powerful lineup but losing a guy like that's gonna have a big impact right I mean Jordan Alvarez is your typical power lefty bat that plays in the outfield and can DH especially with the way things are gonna go now with the universal DH it would be good to have a guy like Jordan Alvarez when you do play those games on the road in National League ballparks Jordan Alvarez, a guy who had an OPS over 1,000 in 87 games in 2019, he was a standout, basically ran away with the Rookie of the Year. Uh, and the reports so far out of the Houston Astros camp is that Kyle Tucker uh, is going to be taking his spot, both DHing and playing in the outfield now. Kyle Tucker, not necessarily a guy that gives you what Jordan Alvarez gives you. He's 23 years old, so he is older than Alvarez. And in just 22 games last year, he had an OPS of 857, so not terrible, but definitely not what Jordan Alvarez is going to provide you, uh, a guy who hit close to uh, 30 home runs last year. On pace for 50, too. Exactly, if he would have played a full season. And you have to suspect that uh, coming out this year, usually the sophomore season goes one of two ways. Either guys continue the stride that they had in the previous year, or Major League Pitching starts to figure them out a little bit. For Jordan Alvarez, I think maybe he probably wouldn't be on pace for 50 home runs, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him crack 25 uh, home runs at least in a full season. But the fact that he hasn't reported to camp, that really, really hurts the Houston Astros because he's just so, so vital to what they would try to do this season. Yeah, and especially when we saw him put up those numbers at age 22, I'm excited personally to see Kyle Tucker get a good run here. And he's someone that can play the fields quite a bit better, run quite a bit better. But 
I think a lot of people, even though he won Rookie of the Year and got that recognition, a lot of people might not realize that Jordan Alvarez, one of the purest hitters in baseball right now, and still developing, still getting better. I mean, there's a legitimate argument that he is the next best power hitter in baseball, like J.D. Martinez type, just pure over 300 hitter, over 50 home run hitter, over 110 RBI hitter. Like, there's an argument that he's that guy, so... Long term, I mean, hopefully everything is okay in that situation and uh, hoping, of course, for the best for him as well as everyone else. Moving on from that, we've got an update on where Toronto will be playing their home games and it will not be the Rogers Center. Last week, I'll admit, I jumped the gun a little bit. They were given permission from Toronto's mayor, John Tory, as well as their Ontario provincial government, from the premier of the province, as well as the health minister of the province. But we found out yesterday that the federal government, beyond all of those other permissions, have given the overall denial on allowing international travel for the sake of baseball. So now the Jays have to pivot. The Toronto Star have reported that they'll be playing either out of Buffalo or Dunedin, as Shapiro is not interested in sharing an MLB park. There is early suspicion and rumors that they might share a field like Tropicana Field with the Rays, but... Jay's not interested in that, and there's some problems here. So first off, if you compare the two, Dunedin is the better facilities. The Jays recently renovated it as early as this spring. The players are familiar with the location. You've got multiple fields, multiple batting cages. You've got all the stuff there. But Florida is definitely worse than Buffalo in terms of health risk right now and exposure to COVID. Here's the thing. Buffalo itself, not a great field when it comes to the facilities it offers. Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic said, The Jays would need to get creative in terms of repurposing the concourse, suites, and other areas of the stadium to meet major leaguers' needs and abide by MLB's protocols for physical distancing on top of the competitive disadvantage of being the only MLB team playing out of a minor league facility. Now, here's the thing. Mark Shapiro added on to this by saying that even though it's not there yet, he says, I'm confident that Buffalo is a viable alternative, and with the amount of resources that we would marshal if we focus solely on Buffalo, that we can make it what it needs to be for us in time to play games. Now, Shapiro said that he does not regret exploring the possibility of playing in Toronto, although it ended up not working out. I think at the end of the day, the Jays are going to try and make the best out of what they can here. And it's not a great situation, but I think if you're a Jays fan, you're kind of glad that your contention window hasn't truly opened yet. And this might kind of seem like a lost season anyway. This was definitely going to be a season for the Toronto Blue Jays to test out what they had and to help some of their young players uh, progress in terms of their MLB development. Uh, In terms of the facilities that the Jays are going to be uh, able to use here, uh, Buffalo seems like the logical choice. Now, regardless of how equipped the facilities are or how spacious the facilities are, how accommodating they are, you have to consider that we're playing baseball in a 60-game season because of COVID-19 now. COVID, uh, as per uh, their most recent test numbers uh, in New York, they've got about 776 new cases, which isn't fantastic. Uh, it is more than you see in Ontario, but the cross-border travel was the big contingent here. The Canadian government was like, 
eh, probably not going to jump on board with that. Uh, so they're going to let them play in the United States. Uh, and I mentioned that New York is at 776, while Florida is over 10,000. And those numbers are different. <laughs> those numbers are very different. Um, the facility in Dunedin is brand new. Uh, multiple fields, plenty of room. Uh, the team would definitely be more accommodated there and would have more practice time available to them, have better facilities to train in, practice in, uh, recoup and all that stuff. But New York is the safer bet if you want to make sure that these players stay safe. And ultimately, the safety of the players is the number one concern. Buffalo is the most obvious option. So I think it's probably going to end up being Buffalo uh, out of the two which I think is a good I think is a good decision because you don't want to put those players in jeopardy and risk losing an entire season uh, because one team suffers a massive outbreak. Is this the best situation possible for the Jays? No, because you are going to be giving up not only the facilities at the Rogers Center, but also the facilities at the newly renovated Dunedin pl- uh, complex that you have. But this is essentially a situation where you have to make the best of what you're given. And I think if the Jays are able to do that, maybe you're able to move some of those young players farther along in their development. And hopefully the facilities that you're staying in aren't a hindrance. And, you know, you just hope that this thing can sort of calm itself down. And that's what the Jays are going to be hoping for as they move into the season. Yeah, the part that worries me is, like you said, this is a development year, so you're hoping that having subpar facilities isn't going to hurt the training and and development of these younger guys, but something interesting I saw floated online, and this was just, again, speculation, there was no reported uh, accuracy or anything behind this, but, I mean... You could potentially see the Jays trying to partner with another team, and I'm not sure the logistics of what they would have to offer in return, but there's other minor league parks close to Buffalo. I mean, there's the Twins AAA team plays out of Rochester, the AA team of Washington plays, sorry, the AAA team out of Washington plays in Syracuse, the Syracuse Chiefs, former Jays affiliate, actually. So you wonder if maybe a deal will be swung to kind of secure two facilities if if one isn't going to be good enough, especially now that there's no minor league season. I mean, that's a potential option. I'm not sure if that's, like I said, feasible between two teams what would even go the other way if the Jays would have to offer cash or a player I I, I have no clue but there's uh, there's options and like Mark Shapiro said if they're confident in it then I'm confident in them to work it out so you'd hope that they'd be in Toronto but at the end of the day it's it's about safety and and bigger than baseball so you mentioned the using other teams facilities I mean I know that the Buffalo Bisons are a pretty integral part of that Buffalo sports community uh, along with the Bills and the Sabres do you think it's possible that they can sort of work out a deal with the Buffalo Bills who aren't currently playing and the Buffalo Sabres who are going to be playing uh, in Toronto since since those facilities are open and those are um, professional level facilities and, and they're wide open to, uh, I guess, any team that would be willing to use them? Do you think it's possible we see a deal worked out between the Bisons and one of Buffalo's other major sports teams? Yeah, that's that's a good suggestion. I, I'm not sure about the Bills just because they are coming back soon. And so they're probably you know ramping up their, their training and expected to use their own. But the the Sabres for sure, I mean, especially like a weight room, whatever training facilities they have besides the rink itself could be of value. I don't know. I, I think that's interesting. I think that's definitely something that they'll be exploring, right? Because now... 
they've got to think fast. Baseball season's approaching. So, yeah, a, a, a good idea. And, I mean, maybe we'll see something on that front. But as I mentioned off the top, we actually did have baseball yesterday. There was three games that actually took place between two different teams. That's right, real baseball. Finally. And <laughs> Actual baseball. This is basically spring training 2.0, so you, you got to preface it with that disclaimer. Not all major league starters, but we did see some pretty competitive lineups. Uh, three games took place yesterday. We saw Philly visiting Washington. The Battle of New York as the Yankees visited City Fields and Cleveland traveling over to Pittsburgh. The first game between Philly and Washington was 7-2 for Philly. Again, score doesn't really matter too much, but we saw two big home runs. One from Harper, a nice bomb from Gregorius in his kind of Philly's debut because it's their first game at a major league park, but it's still spring training, so uh, interpret that how you will. Uh, both of those home runs worth noting off of Max Scherzer, so bonus points for that. We saw the Yankees take out the Mets 9-3, where we actually saw our first look at cutouts with fans kind of in the stands in a way. A couple interesting notes there. We saw Batances against his former team. Started out throwing 92 on the gun, uh, but finished his inning up around 96. So potential signs of worrying there might not be as bad as, as some people have speculated. And then the final game, we saw the Pirates starting staff of Musgrove, Stephen Brault, and Chad Cole pitch a combined seven scoreless innings, but they eventually lost 5-3 to Cleveland. Do you have any notes or anything you'd want to throw in about any of those three games? I did uh, get the chance to watch a bit of the Philly-Washington game. Harper and Gregorius both hit. They, they were hitting very, very well. I would say, you know, this is technically midseason, and they look to be almost in midseason form. Uh, the layoff doesn't help, but I thought their swings were efficient uh, and got to the ball effectively. Max Scherzer... Did get kind of shelled in this game, but as you said, essentially spring training 2.0 or summer camp as MLB is calling it. I wouldn't worry too much about the way that the pitchers are looking. Right. I think more so this is just about when the pitchers are on and they're facing you know those subpar guys. You know this is a time for them to work on their pitches and you know really get the feel back into them. I wouldn't worry about your first start against I guess competition. You could say I think your main focus is the hitters and I thought Harper and Gregorius looked really good and I think they're going to provide a fantastic punch uh, at the top half of that Phillies lineup. Right. You, you, like I said, it's, it's spring training. You can't look into it too much, especially in terms of pitchers. But, you know, there is, uh, there's, there's at least baseball to watch, so I'll take it. The Mets and Yankees are back in action tonight. As well as a few other games, we've got the Orioles visiting the Phillies. We've got the White Sox visiting the Cubs. And we've got the D-backs visiting the Dodgers. So some interesting matchups there. But uh, the last thing we want to talk about is if you've got the time, speaking of those White Sox, there was a beautiful pair of home runs from Luis Robert yesterday. The second one we retweeted on our Twitter, check it out, at Trip Morning, where he pulled a breaking ball that was hung by Steve Ciszak all the way onto the concourse, just demolished a ball on a guy that you might think is a little hard to hit for an inexperienced hitter because he has that sidewinding delivery 
Very impressive home run from Robert, as I mentioned. Two home runs in two at-bats from him. So check out that on our Twitter, at Trip Morning. You can also find the show on Instagram, at Morning Round Trip. And as I mentioned, towards the end of our last podcast, we're getting into doing these daily now. So if you enjoyed this episode, we implore you to come right back here tomorrow morning. And we'll be here every single day until the end of the season. From Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, we hope you have a great day.